Hello, everybody. This is Mark Tulin at Crow on the Wire. I'd like to give a spooky shout out to the fine editors of Lit Up for publishing my story, my surreal Halloween nightmare. I rarely write Halloween stories or poetry, but this is the second of three that I've done so far. This is our, our particularly scary Halloween season with all the strange weather we're having across the country. And I think it's been spurring me on to, to write about it. The story is called My Surreal Halloween Nightmare. Since I was a kid, I always had the same Halloween nightmare. And every year on October 31st, I'd wake up in a cold sweat. So that's why when I go to bed on Halloween, I make sure I tell my wife, I'm probably gonna have a restless night. The dream takes place in our one-story house on Fanning Street, my childhood home in Philadelphia. It's on the block with about 50 houses and a large driveway in the rear. The dream starts with my parents in the living room. They are in their underwear with their hands tied behind their backs. I am there as well, but not seen because I'm hiding behind our dark green sofa. I'm only nine years old and watching everything in my pajamas. In the dream, I'm scared and trembling. I'm unable to scream or yell for help for fear of my safety. So I remain hidden, careful not to cough or breathe too loud. But I am watching everything. The house is dark except for the kitchen light. There is a bare light bulb dangling from the ceiling, slowly swinging from side to side. There are two large overpowering men, the size and bulk of bodybuilders. They're wearing sleeveless shirts and their arms are full of tattoos. Their faces covered in white porcelain masks with blood dripping from the corners of the mouth. The men speak in grunts. I don't understand what they are saying and perhaps they're speaking in a tongue different from English or a dialect I've never heard before. It's dusty behind the sofa and my nose itches. I wrinkle it a few times, but am unable to contain a sneeze. The two men are startled and quickly turn around. That was me, my mother says. I have a cold, I'm sick. I might have pneumonia. The two men laugh. They remove the long bladed knives from their hip and begin sharpening their blades. I can see the pointed silver shining under the light. My father speaks up, although hoarse sounding. She's done nothing to you, he said. Let her go. She doesn't deserve this. Spare her. Take me instead. The two men ignore my father as if he isn't there. They have their sights on my mother. She would be the victim and it would bring them an extra pleasure to devour her. 
they place her on the kitchen table, bound and gagged, like a Thanksgiving turkey, waiting to be carved. She is helpless in her bind. I had never seen her that way. Mom had been the strong one in the family, never buckling under pressure, and knew how to handle problems. But this time it's different. She can't solve this problem, bound and gagged. It is painful watching as I'm caught between wanting to rescue her and staying safe. The men with knives begin to carve as the single light bulb dangles from the ceiling, casting shadows on the walls. I cringe at every cut of the blade, first in little slices, then larger chunks. Strange, there is no blood gushing from the slits. It is as if mother is an apple. All her internal organs are white to the core. Feeling myself holding back screams, I stay crouched behind the sofa. I want to lunge at them, hit them over the head with the chair, but I remain helpless, my feet stuck in cement. I cannot move, forced to watch my mother get consumed by the savages. This part of the nightmare soon dissipates into a fine mist and another one appears as if it is a double feature, but no less horrifying. And I feel some relief for a few seconds. I am no longer behind the sofa, watching two psychos consume my mother. Now I am running in the driveway on Fanning Street. It is a very long driveway with one big sewer at the end. My father's head is rolling down the driveway, bouncing like a ball. I can see his face, bald head and aquiline nose, spinning around like a roulette wheel. This time, I am wearing sneakers and able to move. I intend to get my father's head and then put it back onto his body, wherever that may be. My biggest worry is not being able to catch his head before it rolls down the sewer. Forever lost to me, as well as my dad. Despite being a little boy, my legs are strong and I have endurance, strange for a kid with asthma. Yet, I am in the, an endless race against the forces of a surrealistic dream. Will I ever run fast enough to catch my dad's rolling head? Will I ever find the rest of his body? As I run, there are more obstacles. There are sharp spikes in the driveway that I avoid. There are holes I sidestep and barbed wires I jump over. Worse than that, chains clamp to my ankles, keeping me from staying with the rolling head and eventually losing track of him. Helpless, hopeless. I never rescue my father's head, no matter what Halloween night it is. Instead, I am left with a feeling of loss and frustration. The nightmare of my father dissipates along with my mother into the thin air of the past. After the dream, I think of what Salvatore Dali would say. I imagine he's listening to my thoughts. I ask him, what does my mother's apple white core mean? What is the significance of my father's rolling head? Why do I have this nightmare every Halloween and strangely enough, look forward to it? He curls his mustache and tells me, you keep trying to run after your longevity, 
chasing immortality. I think about this for a second. You mean the dream isn't really about my parents, but me? Yes, my madman. You want to believe that death is impossible. That I would never die? Exactly. Dolly takes out a brush and starts painting me. You are mad, he says, but you are not crazy. Wow, that's a relief, I say, and watch Dolly disappear in the surreal nothingness of melting. <laughs>